The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to The Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Patrick Lunn, and... Me, Rob Davis. Everyone's favourite. Uh, today we have a superb show lined up for you guys uh, as we knock out chapters 29 to 32 of Grave Peril, where we're going to have some absolutely explosive action to cover. Uh, incredible stuff. We're talking betrayals. We're talking like killing and uh, all sorts of things. People turning one way and another and twists and turns and turns and twists and I'm a little bit stuck on that. Uh, no, uh, let's move on to uh, <laughs> para-networking. Uh, and this week, we are going to be discussing... What are we discussing this week, Rob? Uh, our least favourite book in the Dresden Files series. Ah, yes. This is uh, kind of part two to our, uh, our last episode, where we talked about our favourite book in the Dresden Files series. I, of course, said Ghost Story, and Rob said Skin Game. Uh, but uh, we did... Do a little caveat that all books in the Dresden Files series are good and we do enjoy them. It's just within that band of uh, good to incredible, uh, where did we place the books, really? Um, and yeah, today is uh, the lower end of that chart from that, that little band of good to great, so closer to the good. And uh, yeah, Rob... Which is your least favourite Dresden Files book? Now, I've been thinking about this since you uh, sent the question to me a few days ago. And it's it's changed a few times. And okay. I, I, I imagine most people would pick Full Moon or Stormfront. And I'm not going to pick those because I feel that's predictable. Um, and what I've done is... Okay. I mean, it, I feel least favourite is a bit of a stretch... But I'm mainly focusing on them because at, at this time, I think I read uh, maybe four or five Dresden books within the space okay. of like a month and a bit. So, yeah, it, it's more like like we were saying yesterday, like there's there's a certain chunk of these books which are kind of blended into each other a bit. A lot of the details you don't really remember, but I'm going to pick uh, book number eight, Proven Guilty. Okay. Which if, that's if, interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, if, if you don't remember, that's the one where we get more of uh, not introduced to Molly Carpenter. We get we get a lot more focus on her. Um, if I remember right, she's charged with using magic to tamper with people's memories, which you know in the White Council is yeah. a massive no-no, and it's up to Harry to kind of be like with with uh, great power comes great responsibility and all that kind of jazz um and it takes place at a horror film convention which is always a larf um i but, that is the high point of that book for me is the is yeah. the horror film convention like i liked that horror convention but i think i think the bit that kind of steered me away from it a bit was <clears throat> the kind of uh, revelation i suppose of like Molly having a crush on Harry, which I mean is is fine, I guess. But I don't know from what from my memory, like the three quarters of the book, I wasn't that fussy about. 
Um, but I did really enjoy the mm. climax when they end up going to Arctis Tour and it's all burnt to shit. Yeah, uh, I can I can definitely agree with you uh, a little bit on this because uh, I I kind of feel like uh, Deadbeat up to Turncoat um, mm. has a little bit of this problem where. I feel like Jim was kind of trying to find where he wanted the series to go. Yeah. Um, and there's there's kind of a constant battle, and, and my choice is very close to your choice uh, for very similar reasons, um, where you've got, like, kind of epic things going on on one level, but also Dresden being, like, a an investigator and a private eye on the other level. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it kind of, especially when you get into like Arctis tour, which we're told is like a stronghold of like fairy and stuff. It just gets a bit like, Oh, but he's a small time detective. Why is he dealing with this? It's kind of like the, like the difference between when like Batman is dealing with like the Joker or the Riddler versus mm. when Batman is with the Justice League and suddenly is able to pull out like a mecha bat suit from his ass. Yeah. Um it just like the there's, there's something yeah, uh, a bit more difficult there, I find. Um so yeah, I I I can get behind that. Um and and like you say, it still does have some really good points. Um but I think it does suffer. One thing I do like, though, right at the end of that book, is when when Molly tries to kind of come on to Harry. Um, that that final scene where he like pours the glass of water. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know it, this isn't really a spoiler. Uh, Harry uh, rescues Molly Carpenter, who is to be his new apprentice. I don't know what age she's supposed to be. I want to say like 18-ish. I think so, um, yeah. How I always Yeah, uh, but Harry, um, it being a, a, a slightly more experienced gentleman, kind of knows what's coming next. So he, pull, he pours like a big glass of water and puts it on the mantelpiece, just within reach. And then... Um, him, he's like Molly. I'm about to give you your first lesson or something, and he gives like a speech about like justice and righteousness and whatever. Um, and then she starts kind of like coming on to him, and um, I can't remember if she starts like if she even starts stripping a bit or whatever. But anyway, uh, Harry just takes his staff and knocks the water over her and says, "We're not doing that." <laughs> um. Which I personally found very funny. Uh, I enjoyed that. Um, and it also felt a bit like Jim Butcher being like, yeah, I'm not going to make this 30, 40-year-old man uh, have a romantic relationship with an 18-year-old. That feels all sorts of squirrely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my uh, my least favourite Dresden Files book um, is... Right next door to Proven Guilty, White Knight. Yeah, I thought it was going to be White Knight, and I almost went with White Knight, but again, like, 
I read them both very, like, what feels like in the same day. And I don't actually remember anything from White Knight apart from, like, bits of the ending. That's kind of my problem with White Knight, really, is that um, it's... It, it, so it, I feel like it really has that problem of it starts out with Dresden being a, a detective around Chicago, helping M- uh, Murphy with the scene of an apparent suicide. It's all very like it, 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 uh, he has to go undercover in a uh, like a porn. Um, what do you call it? Like a, a studio, a porn studio. Uh, he has to kind of go undercover for a bit. Uh, and it's all very like investigative and l- very low level, low magic. Um, and then the big finale literally involves the heads of the vampire houses and like huge amounts of power being slung around by Dresden and Ramirez and Madrigal Wraith and everyone in between. Um, and. It just, yeah, it really feels a bit, um, there's a bit of a disconnect between those two. Also, there's a whole subplot about whether Harry and Thomas can trust each other um, that I feel gets has been resolved earlier in like the books before that. Yeah. Um, and it basically just comes down to like Harry just, Tom, Thomas basically saying to Harry like, okay, I know I'm a vampire, but you've got to trust someone. <laughs> kind of thing and I don't know it just felt a bit too much like a supernatural episode or something like just very low stakes um that didn't really go anywhere and that's not to say that that's all supernatural episodes some supernatural episodes are absolutely awesome but there are some where it's just like I don't know if I can trust you I don't know yeah. if I can trust you that's that's my experience um, with I say that as a big fan as well like at least once every season or every other season, they have some huge trust falling out, split off for a few episodes, doing their own thing, and then they get back together being like, oh, we'll we'll have to put this behind us for now until the next time I don't trust you. Yeah, and I think for someone who really enjoys the melodrama of Jim Butcher, um, that just, that felt out of place and out of character for me. I also think Harry does he does have trust issues, but I don't think he, he would be that distrustful of Thomas. I, I don't know. That's that's something that we can discuss close to the time. Um, but there's some uh, other really interesting bits in that story. So even though I, I, I would say it's the weakest in my opinion, um, that story does a lot to explore the relationship between Dresden and Lachiel, uh, who is... Um, a very interesting character that we will get to. Uh, there's a bit of uh, so there's a bit of Denarian stuff there. I really like how Lara Wraith and Magical Wraith kind of their their final situation. Uh, I think is really cool and really interesting. Um, we get some. Uh, I'm not sure if they're new here, but we definitely get. Um, oh, guard. Uh, Marcone's Valkyrie bodyguard. Yeah. My uh, and a few memory others. of White Knight is you've got this whole big uh, like battle scene towards the end, and it's it's very Avengers Endgamey in the sense of like portals are opening up, and you've got Cowl and um, 
various ghouls and shit coming in one end, and then it portal opens up for like Harry, and it's like Marcone, Guard, uh, Hendrix, and all that kind of shit. Yeah, that's my memory of. I mean, I, it's weird because I don't really remember White Knight at all. I remember it being quite similar to Blood Rites in that the White Court, specifically the Wraith family, um, are both quite heavily involved. Yeah. I know it I know it kicks off with uh an apparent suicide and the there's like a uh a question mark over it seems like it's Thomas who's done it. Yeah. Um and for the first half of the book is just Harry being like, Oh, is it Thomas? It can't be. He's my brother Oh, it's Tom uh, and it just like, feels a bit too much like him. Shit, isn't it? Like he's he's smuggling women out of the city. Or yeah, something. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's there's also some really super cool bits. There's uh, bits with Cowl gets introduced. He's an interesting character. Um, who will, who shows up a few other times. Uh, we get other parts of the the White Court or the houses, which is really cool. Um. Molly's kind of it's her first real outing, so she gets a, a bit more exploration. So there, there is plenty there uh, mm. to enjoy and to have fun with, and mm. and also Ramirez is really in this a lot more. Um, and as someone who's a big who's a big Ramirez fan, uh, I'm happy with that. So yeah, um, I think that's that's probably my least favorite of the Dresden books but I'm happy with all of them um I would place white knight uh under full moon um I actually think full moon's pretty good um I think stormfront and full moon their their strength is in their brevity <laughs> um they they're really well thought out plots I think um that are quite well streamlined whereas I think as we get towards the back half of the first 10, we get some more kind of longer plots that might have some more extraneous kind of scenes that are good for melodrama, but might not have been necessary. Um, mm. I think the first time that really started to happen for me was in Blood Rites. Um, we'll talk about that when we get there. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's our least favourite, but if you disagree uh, or have uh, different least favourites or if one of the books that we chose was actually your favourite of the Dresden Files series uh, we'd love to hear from you guys so uh, get uh, get on to us on Twitter, Facebook email us, uh, we'd love to talk about kind of your thoughts on the show um, or, and even just directly talk to you on Facebook and stuff uh, about why uh, why you love Proven Guilty or White Knight or uh, or why you dislike any of the other books. Um, I have, I, I've seen a couple of people really not like the most recent uh, Peace Talks and Battleground and I'd really like to talk to someone who's not into them uh, to find out kind of what why that might be. Because um, I, I, I kind of pitch them in the middle for myself. Um, yeah. So it'd be interesting to know. And yeah, that's about it. Uh, is there anything else that you want to throw in, Rob? Um, not really. Um, <laughs> I think kind kind of running on that again. I wouldn't place it in least favorite, but it it. I think after Grave Peril, um, the Summer Night, I had a bit of trouble getting into that. 
uh, when I first read it. But it's a weird one because I, I remember reading it when um, I think I finished it on the train while visiting you, well, on my way to visit you. A couple yeah. Of years back. And I think when I actually got off the train, I'd finished it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's probably one of my favourite ones. And I remember thinking at the time, like, eh, whatever. Um, and I think that's because, like I say, Grave Peril's probably where I fell in love with the series. And I don't know, like, I look back on The Summer Night and think it's awesome. But I remember when I was reading it for the first time, I wasn't all that into it. Yeah, I like what I really loved about The Summer Night was how it, it introduced the, fa- uh, the fairy courts. Um, I think it does a really good job of it, but I can totally see why people might. It it feels like it takes a long time to get anywhere. Yeah, um, summer night. I mean, I, I um, guess, but then like, I really. I, I guess with um, go ahead. A lot of the books that come after the summer night as well, like especially where we are now in the series, is it kind of does a lot of setup with. I guess the fairy courts and all that kind of stuff. So it needed to be a bit more slower paced. Yeah. Um, so it's, I, I guess there's, there's definitely pros and cons uh, to summer night. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to us getting to that. Cause I think there'll be a lot for, uh, for us to talk about. Um, mm. I also think fairies as a concept as being villains is a really interesting thing to talk about which we haven't really talked about with with Dylan Anchi and, and part of that has been because I think both of us want to wait until we get into the proper fairy courts and stuff yeah. um, but there are some really interesting bits uh, to, to pick out there because um, it, it's rare that uh, you see fairies and Faye being depicted as as outright antagonists, they tend to be more, I don't know, middling. Mm. Uh, okay, so uh, shall we move on to the book club? Yeah, let's do this. Okay, let's do this thing. Right, so Justin uh, Fowles book club. Um, this is where we are slowly going through the Dresden Files series. I say slowly, we're on episode 30 as of today. Um, and it feels like we have barreled through the series. Uh, I don't know about you, Rob, but... Um, I think um, I think when we decided to pick it, up it, doing four chapters instead of three definitely helped. Like, I think we were about halfway through Full Moon when we decided to do that. And I think it feels like we've been getting through it a lot quicker since well i think we've yeah i think including this week we have maybe two more episodes left on this book uh two or three yeah something like that depends how we, how we want to do it yeah so it's uh yeah it's been a pretty a pretty cool ride uh so far um and we have no intention of slowing down, so do not worry. Um, and uh, yeah, today we're going to be covering chapters 29, 30, 31 and 32. But before that is, as always, the recap. 
Last time on Dresden Files. Chapter 25. Uh, Bianca and Thomas settled the party down after Harry insulted everyone with his insulting, goofy Dracula costume. Uh, Harry and Michael realised that they were surrounded and that many of the people at the party were mortals being preyed on by the vamps. Kyle and Kelly Hamilton came over and had some banter. Harry ruled uh, ruled Kyle out as a villain and Michael accidentally burnt Kelly with his holy light. Uh, Thomas tells Harry that the wine has been poisoned just after Harry has drunk it. Uh, Chapter 26, Harry and Michael work out that the poison is red court secretion. Harry makes himself vomit to avoid uh, avoid the effect. Harry and Michael meet Ferrovax, an ancient dragon said to be the oldest of all his kind, who proves to them both that he is a badass by exerting his will over them, like uh, pushing them down on the ground, like pure gravity. Uh, A woman in a red riding costume uh, sneaks up on Michael and Harry tackles her, revealing that she is Susan Rodriguez, who has snuck into the party with a false invite. Leah appears and explains to Susan that because she has no real invite, she has no protection of guest right uh, and is open for attack from any of the vamps or anyone else here at this party. Chapter 27. Leah then hits Harry with some magic whammy for breaking his promise to her um, back in the cemetery when he was trying to save Charity Carpenter. Susan... uh, desperately pleads with Mab and in the end makes a deal with her to save Harry, trading a year of her memory for Harry's survival. Leah leaves and Susan reveals that she has no memory about who Harry is. Chapter 28. Harry works out that Leah has literally just cut him out from Susan's memory. She can remember all the events of the last year, but without Harry's influence on them. Marvra then confronts Harry, Susan and Michael as they try to leave. She attacks Harry, but is repelled by crucifixes from both Susan and Michael. Harry realises Mavra is the one behind the ghost attack. She's been putting the barbed wire in their spirits. Then the vampire court is called to order. And that is where we start this week. Rob, do you want to jump in? Yeah, so we crack on with uh, chapter 29. Bianca calls like various different guests up one by one, uh, beginning with Ferrovax, um, and she presents them with some very nice gifts, which is very nice of her. It's a bit like Christmas, but with the possibility of death. Um, and I think it doesn't explain what she gives Ferrovax, it's just that he opens this like chest and his his eyes like glimmer and shit. Which I think is exciting, and I want to know what it is, because for me, more Ferrovax is certainly not a bad thing. Um, Mm -hmm. After that, Thomas is called up. Uh, While that's going on, Justine begs Harry for help, explaining that Bianca is angry with Thomas, because Thomas chose Justine as his partner, I guess, instead of her. Um, So a bit of jealousy there, I suppose. Um, and Thomas is presented with the gift of a villa in Hawaii and a single ticket to fly there on a plane that evening Um, remind me to bring that up further down when we discuss it because yeah Um, following this Harry then goes up and he is given the gift of a plot of land in Graceland Cemetery with his very own tombstone which reads 
here lies Harry Dresden. He died doing the right thing. Um, this is it's interesting to point out. This is presented to him in quite a mocking fashion as well. Like it's it's very much made clear that Bianca wants his head on a pike kind of thing. Um, after this, Leah goes up and she is given another secret gift at this point. Um, and in return, she presents a gift to Bianca herself. And that gift is revealed to be Amaracus, uh, Michael's sword. Um, Bianca in turn gives Amaracus to Mavra, who plans to destroy the sword by attacking an innocent person, the innocent being Lydia. Um, at this point, Harry realises that all along this has been the setup, the, the master plan um, is to get them into this party and, you know, death, doom and gloom and the rest of it. <clears throat> um, yeah, naturally, no one's up for that. So in chapter 30, bit of a bit of a fight, bit of a scuffle breaks out between um, Harry, Michael, Susan, Thomas and Justine against everyone else in the room which is quite interesting because I think again just before this Thomas tries to defuse the situation as well before getting involved himself um, yeah and again it, it, it goes back to what we were saying in the previous episode that Michael is a total badass even without his sword like he's full on just punching shit stabbing it with daggers and throwing out like pulp fictiony bible quotes and stuff which is it's it's pretty badass. Um, yeah, Harry and Michael. I'd be interested to know what Michael's thoughts were on Pulp Fiction. <laughs> that, I'd be interested in that actually as well. Um, but yeah, uh, in any case, Harry and Michael are able to rescue Lydia. She is she's unconscious and yeah, so I guess that's more of a burden because she's not picking up her own weight. Um, and at the same time, Bianca gets hold of Justine and. She kind of uses her to blackmail Thomas into turning in Harry and capturing Susan. And <clears throat> this is an interesting point that we'll also discuss further down. Um, Thomas is, you know, he's conflicted by this and is like, "What? You know, I don't know what to do. And Harry's like, don't do it, <laughs> basically. And yeah. Thomas apologizes and just nonchalantly just kicks Susan into the red court crowd. And she's like, ah, screaming shit. And then the screams go silent. Um, Harry, understandably, is fuming. Um, he, channeled, he channels his rage into his traditional fire spell and decides to use it to set the house ablaze. Um, amongst all that chaos, the, the building's like crumbling down, all's going to hell. Um, and the Lianchi kind of rocks up again. I know that was it. Just before that, Michael's like trying to drag Harry and Lydia out. And it, he's very much like, Lord, please save us. I know Harry isn't your most uh, loyal of subjects, but at the end of the day, he gets the work done and he's fighting the good fight. And they see like this I... angelic image, which is then revealed to be the Lianchi, which I think is pretty cool. And also in one side of things, hilarious. Um, I love how uh, how Michael's like talking to the Lord because he doesn't talk to the Lord. It's not really a prayer. It's more like talking to a friend or like a, a school kid talking to a teacher or something to get a friend out of attention. It's like, please, <laughs> he, he is an all right guy, I promise. 
I can't remember what episode of The Simpsons it is, but there's I think it's when Homer starts a bowling team with Mr. Burns, uh, Apu and Mo, I think. Um, and okay. they're playing like this bowling tournament with uh, a religious group that's comprised of Flanders, Reverend Lovejoy and all that. And I remember like Flanders knocks everything down apart from one pin and he's just like, Lord, it's me. And the pin just falls down and it just made me think of that. I can definitely see that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, chapter 30 closes with Harry passing out. Um, when we return... A, a, a normal yeah. way for a chapter to end in the Dresden Files. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty standard. Either something's exploding, or someone's passing out, or bleeding out, or both. Or so, a fairy queen or Leah has popped up. Yeah. That's a very cool one. <laughs> I mean... It works because it keeps you reading. Um, yeah. <laughs> chapter 31, we have a bit of a catch-up with Michael and Harry. They awake in Harry's apartment. Um, he and Harry kind of talk about all the, all the stuff that's gone on. Um, you know, where's Susan? Did they have time to rescue her before Harry, you know, after Harry passed out? Um, and Michael kind of gives them the update that they they were unsuccessful with that. Five Mortal firefighters went into the building and Naturally, they're not going to see vampires, and I think they found 11 bodies. Um, at this point, the fire has burnt enough away that all, all it is is skeletal remains that kind of resemble humans anyway. Um, yeah. Harry comes to this whole massive revelation of, you know, Leonard Kravos is now a ghost controlling this and that, the nightmare. Everything goes back to him and this whole case. Because they've they've been under the impression that he's not that related to it because he's still alive, um, which I think is quite interesting. But uh, yeah, Harry now knows what's to do, and he believes he can beat him now that he knows what's actually going on. Um, at this point, there's a dramatic knock at the door where it's revealed to be Thomas, everyone's favourite white court vampire. Um, both Harry and Michael kind of rough him up a bit because understandably he turned on them and threw Susan into a crowd of red court vampires I'd be angry too um, Thomas explains to them that Justine and Susan have been taken to the basement beneath Bianca's mansion um, he's planning to raid it but obviously doing that himself he's going to have a bad time so he needs backup and yeah and the chapter closes on yet another dramatic finish as Lydia wakes up possessed by the nightmare who attacks Harry and Oh, chilling. It's Halloween on Saturday as well, just so you know. Which I, know, I think right? by the time this recording goes out, Halloween was like three or four days ago. But it's an interesting to point out. Um, and then it we write the bonfire night. Yeah, uh, that's true. when this goes. Which I don't know if that will even be a thing at the moment. But. Uh, it, it may not be, and also given that the majority of our, our listeners are American and not English, uh, I'm not sure that all of you will know what Bonfire Night is, but basically watch V for Vendetta. I was about to say watch V for Vendetta, it's basically... <laughs> I mean, that may as well just happen next week anyway, we don't know. Um, yeah, and chapter... It very well could, yeah. <laughs> chapter 32, sorry, not 22, my mistake. Chapter 32... Michael goes to attack the nightmare, but it's then revealed, like Harry points out, that it's possessing Lydia's body. So it's kind of a grey area of the rules of Amarakis, where by striking down 
the possessed Lydia, it would break the rules and destroy the sword. Um, it's because mm-hmm. everything that he's he ends up doing to the possessed Lydia would actually be affecting Lydia as well, and she's supposedly an innocent in all this. So Harry tries to bind the demon, which is a massive struggle. Um, it's not going well for Team Dresden. And then Thomas intervenes. And I like this because it's, it's described as like he kind of just presses up against her and his eyes kind of go empty. And it kind of it's quite interesting from what we know of the Red Court vampires and their feeding habits. And yeah. Um, yeah. Thomas intervenes, seducing the demon, which is cool as shit, if I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. And Harry is able to pull off a binding spell directed at Leonard Kravos instead. And yeah, I mean, we'll, I guess we'll talk about that a bit more in a second. Um, yeah, and in the process, Lydia is now safe and sound, sort of, uh, because Thomas is now trying to feed on her because he's hungry. Um, and it's quite funny because he's trying to defend his reasoning here. He's like, oh, but I'm hungry and she's, I've never fed from her before. She's not going to know. Um, but in any case, both Harry and Michael stop him and Thomas goes off for a shower because that's what he seems to do every time he's in Dresden's apartment. Um, all three yeah. of them. It's, it's always just like an excuse for Thomas to get more naked. Yeah, pretty much. Um, in any case, after Thomas's shower, they kind of formulate a bit of a plan, which is to jump into the Never Never using Bob as a guide um, and try and get into Bianca's mansion from there, as opposed to just storming it from the front and failing miserably. Um, and I quite like the description mm-hmm. here, because you've got Tom- Thomas, not Thomas, sorry, uh, Michael like, with the Sword of Amarachius, uh, dressed up in like his usual garb of flannel shirt, steel toe cap boots, and jeans harry in his usual garb and then his description for like everyone's got like magic or a sword and thomas is just like stood there wearing dresden spare clothes carrying a like aluminum baseball bat and it, it just sounds i mean i know he's got like all these super strength and all that kind of stuff but compared to the other two it just sounds really underwhelming um yeah so they start traveling in the never never where they hear again the sound of like a hunt coming after them, where we're once again faced with the Lianchi and her hounds and her proclaiming that it's time for Dresden to fulfil his end of the deal and surrender to her. And that is where we finish up the chapters for this week. Dun, dun, dun. So, yeah. So, first thing, how many times did you miss here Leonard Kravos as Lenny Kravitz? Um... It's interesting because I didn't mishear it as Lenny uh, Kravitz, but every time I went to read out Kravitz or Leonard Kravitz, I kept almost saying Lenny Kravitz, and I had to really think about it <laughs> to not say that. <laughs> and I feel now that it's been um, out, it's going to be even worse. Like we will end up saying it in the next episode. Yeah, I mean. I can see uh, Lenny Kravitz having some sort of mystical powers. Yeah. I, uh, sh- sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure, Pat. If that if that's what you want, go for it. <laughs> that's what you're into, fine. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Are You Gonna Go My Way, though, is a seriously strong single. Anyway, um, the... uh, Yeah, uh, these were some absolutely epic chapters, properly explosive. Um, The the end of the party um, is incredible. The the gift-giving section is something that I really enjoyed, um, particularly. Same. Um, I mean, can you get a better public diss than giving someone their own tombstone and a plot at a graveyard and telling them you're going to need it soon? I guess not. (laughs) Absolutely incredible. Um... Yeah, uh, and just uh, and I really enjoy uh, what is offered to Thomas as well, the, the plane ticket to Hawaii for one, to try and get him away from Justine. Um, proper slap in the face. Um, I mean, uh, Bianca is just great at that, um, and that's part of why she's a great villain. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy that. Um the the kind of aftermath uh, of the party where Harry kind of wakes up and um, I do appreciate that Jim uh, put Harry to sleep, knocked him out so that we could get a bit of a time skip because to get us to more interesting stuff faster. Um, yeah. I a bit of the aftermath bit. Um, I completely had forgotten. Uh, the scene with Thomas and uh, with Lydia coming back uh, possessed by the ghost. Um, so that that was that was really cool. Um, I was surprised that Thomas's like whammy worked on the uh, um, worked on the spirit, but I guess if you're in a body, you're subject to the biological needs of that body. Yeah, I, guess. I suppose. I mean. I'm kind of okay with it, so. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, I think that. Uh, it generally it was just a. It's a really fun. Um. It's a it's a it's a really fun set of chapters. Uh, how did you find it? I I really enjoyed it because I feel. I I feel the stuff that's kind of. I don't know how to word it. Everything, I guess, after this book, that's kind of... I know, I'm still trying to think of the best way to word this. I think everything that's a kind of a a repercussion from this book stems from this party, I guess. Like, like all all the gifts and stuff. I think, if I remember right, the gift that uh, Lianchi is presented with as well is kind of what brings her down a bit like she she's um infected with a bit of madness i guess at some point in the series and when i think it's the book i mentioned uh proven guilty where um they go to arctis tour which is like the big place of winter i guess and while they're there they mm. find the anchi frozen and she states that she's been she's been frozen or imprisoned temporarily due to uh becoming like arrogant or something with power and I think that's very much tied with what the gift is she receives from Bianca um, 
And the tombstone as well. I mean, that pops up quite a few times as well. Yeah. And of course, Certainly. what I what I messaged you before recording this episode is uh, Susan's fate in uh, Death Masks and eventually changes. Um, is kind of the starting point of that is here. Um, and I think my question I gave to you is who's more responsible? Is it Susan herself going and forging the uh, invite? Or is it Thomas booting her into the crowd of vampires? See, that that one is... Uh, it's It's kind of horrible to think about because of where Thomas and Harry get to in their friendship and yeah. uh, eventually uh, brotherhood. Um, it's really horrible to, to say, but Thomas kind of set everything in motion by doing that. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I don't remember that. And I mean, I guess I was questioning why he never held it against Thomas as much as he did. And I think one of the reasons why is, and I guess we all know this, is that Dresden's very much that kind of stereotypical hero in the sense of that, oh, you know, every, everything that goes wrong around me is my fault. And I think that and that is something we do see, I think, like from page one of the next book, is that the stuff with Susan here, he does blame himself. So I don't think, yes, I don't think he's ever going to hold Thomas responsible in any kind of way, unless like, I don't know, someone actually tells him that in the... Like, if Michael was like, you, you know he's the one who kicked Susan into a crowd of vampires, yeah? And then I think maybe Harry would go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I would just love Michael to be like, yeah, I never got how you forgived him for that time. And Michael uh, and Harry just being like, what time? And then Michael's like, oh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> um, yeah, it's... From Thomas's point of view at this point, I completely understand why he did what he did. Yeah. Because um, he, I mean, the guy is just there for Justine. Um, yeah, and that's, that's made very clear as well, that he would do anything for her, so I guess that's why. And he doesn't know Susan, so. But at the same time, he does kind of fuck up her life. Um, although she, she was already on track to do that with the the whole memory loss thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting how you can view it because I mean, it might have happened exactly the way it would have anyway. But mm. I mean, if at the end of the day we don't know, we'll have to wait for Jim Butcher to do another like AMA on Reddit. Yeah, because um... <sighs> the thing is, is that if if Thomas hadn't done that, then Susan wouldn't have been captured, which then means that Harry wouldn't have got angry enough to use his fire magic to the point where they could escape. Yeah. So turtles all the way down, really. Mm. Um, I, I also want to say from Susan's perspective, this is an absolute nightmare. She is so out of her depth with no memory <laughs> of why she's here or what she's doing or how to fight these things, um, is basically told that this person is an ally 
uh, and then is thrown to a pack of slathering vampires. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. Yeah, it's... Um, she, uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing um, what uh, other people have to say on this, maybe. Yeah. Um, I Do you blame Thomas? I guess is the question. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll post it on a social media as well, I guess, or I don't know maybe maybe after this yeah, one goes live, and then we'll kind of review it again in a week. Yeah. Um. So the next thing that we wanted to talk about was uh, Bianca and Mavra's plot because I think it's a little convoluted. <laughs> um, as many Dresden foes plots tend to be. Um, So my my read of it is essentially Bianca knew that she was getting promoted up in the Red Court to that new station. I can't remember what the the title is now, but we did have it. uh, Like a Countess kind of thing. Um, So before she was going to be promoted, she wanted to kind of uh, get rid of all her enemies at once. Mm. Uh, so she got Mavra on side and her and Mavra cook up this plot to have the um, the whole like vampire ball kind of thing. They invite Dresden um, knowing he will at first say no and then they essentially harass him, employing Kravos and the ghost of the demon that Kravos summoned, the nightmare, to the point where Harry will be compelled to go along to the party mm. um, so that they can then publicly humiliate him with the, the grave and then uh, the gravestone. Um, oh, and then, uh, of course, they've got Lydia, uh, who they're going to basically display in front of Harry uh, as they are going to dispel Amarachius by killing Lydia with it. So they must have also planned out that they were going to get Amarachius, which means that they knew that uh, Harry was going to be put into a situation where he was going to be against Leah with Amarachius and would then use it in a way that would dispel the protections around it so that Leah could then come to the party, gift it to them, and then they could try and break it on Lydia. It's quite, quite a lot of I think that's the plan. (laughs) 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 Like, I think I would have done something more straightforward. Like, I, I don't know, like, dead horse's head in his bed and then I don't know, like, throw a rock at him or some shit. Yeah, I just... I don't know, just staking out his place with, like, 50 vampires? (laughs) Yeah. Or killing him earlier in the book when they Um, had a chance. Yeah, like, I would have brought Mavra onto the field a lot earlier if I was Bianca. Yeah, 
But whatever, I'm sure she had her um, reasons. Plot, mainly. Yeah, plot, maybe, <laughs> mainly. But <laughs> essentially, yeah. Uh, so just just to get the, the, the basic plan out there for anyone who's, who's trying to keep track at home, Bianca wants to clear court. She's doing that um, by getting all her enemies in one place at her her party um, with the plan to kill them all for breaking the rules of hosting uh, by antagonizing them. She finds different ways to antagonize Thomas and to antagonize Harry and even Michael, uh, who is an enemy of Mavra's, um, and is essentially uh, finding ways for, to make them break their covenant of being guests uh, so that she can then slaughter them and begin her reign with no enemies in Chicago, uh, which is understandable. That's, that is a good way to start your reign, I will say. Yeah, it's a fair point, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I guess, a, apart from it being convoluted, it's an understandable plot. I, I think I like this more than the full moon plot yeah. of the FBI agents. Um, but I actually think that the Shadowman plot from Stormfront made more sense to me. Out of the yeah. three, I, I guess it's. I mean, I, I guess we don't know it yet when you're first reading the book, but I feel like in retrospect, this book is very much kind of there to set up the conflict of the next, however many books, nine books. Yeah, I can see that. Um, one thing I, one thing I haven't really understood is why is Bianca being promoted? Um, she kind of says that she she was fueled by the ra- by rage at Harry after the way he acted in Stormfront to kind of acquire power. Yeah. But it doesn't really say what she's done. No, I don't I've, know. What, what's your thought? If I remember right, I think Mavra has been teaching her how to use magic. I could be wrong. But I know, like, because I remember thinking when I first read this, and I still think it a little bit now, in the first in her first appearance in Stormfront, I didn't really see the Red Court as villains as such, um, probably because they weren't the main focus. And Bianca mm. especially, I just kind of took it as, I think I initially took it as if, like, like she's kind of like a supernatural Murphy, I guess. Not on the same level with friendship, but more of an uneasy ally. I guess. Um, Yeah. If if you consider that her beef is stemming from Harry asking her a few questions about a dead girl and her freaking out about it and him defending himself against her freaking out and then, you know, and so on. It it feels like just such a zero to a hundred reaction to then want vengeance and him to die. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's a lot of motivation. I kind of saw her a bit like um, how I think Frodo might see Galadriel as like someone extremely powerful who might be of great use 
but could also snap and turn on you. Mm. Um, maybe not a perfect uh, metaphor, but that's that's kind of how I saw it. Um, but yeah, it, it it does seem like a lot. Like Dresden was as nice and professional with her as Dresden was able to be in Stormfront, given the circumstances. And yet she's like, I am going to ruin your lives. Like, to him and all his allies and anyone he loves. Yeah. I mean, I I would feel that she'd be at a point where you should still be able to at least talk about the problem and come to a solution. But... Yeah. Even if it was just like a... a, What's it called? Like a wear guild? Where he just pays some restitution of some sort? Like... Anyway, um, uh, it's it's a, an interesting plot, uh, and I think it, it mostly makes sense. It's a little convoluted in parts, uh, and on our chart of the best to the worst villain plots of the first three books, it goes smack bang in the middle with Shadow Man's at the top, the FBI agents at the bottom. I think that's that that works for me. Um, So the next bit, uh, so we've got, so we've, we've kind of talked a little bit about Lenny Kravos, uh, Lenny Kravitz. Um, I, is there more that you want to say on that? Uh, not really. I feel there's not really much to say on Kravos at the moment until I think maybe the next episode where we get a bit more of a revelation and confrontation with him. Yeah. Um, he's, I mean, he's a little generic at this point. Yeah. Um, he feels very much like the Shadow Man felt. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting this time around. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's weird because I feel there was a lot more involvement from uh, the Kravos thing when I first read this. And maybe, mm, I don't know. I know there's a bit more to come where we get a bit more of a confrontation between him and Harry, but yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Okay, uh, and then we talked about Thomas saving Dresden. Absolutely awesome moment. Um, really shows how Thomas deals with problems, I suppose. Um. But I think a great moment there is when uh, Lydia wakes up uh, after the possession is dealt with and Thomas tries to feed off her and Harry and Michael intervene. Um, It just showed the uneasy alliance, I guess, that they've got at this point. Yeah, I mean, I find Thomas's character quite interesting at the moment, given what we know in future books. And, I mean, I think you mentioned it last episode with with him trying to calm down the, the fight and uh, kind of hanging out of Dresden, being like, can I be your friend? And Dresden's like, no. Um, I know, like, it's... I think at the time, it... I mean, you co- like I say, you covered it in that he's extremely likeable from the word go. And... Yeah. I remember loving him for like the first couple of, you know, just 
for the remainder of this book. And mm -hmm. it, it's interesting knowing what we know now. Do you think that's another thing that was intentional? Like he's intentionally trying to save Harry because he knows like what the audience knows in book six. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, at this point, Thomas is aware that they are family. That's, I, I mean, I honestly can't remember, but I mean, that's how I'm reading it at the moment, is that Thomas does know, and that's what I've chosen to go with. Because I believe that there are pictures of Thomas and Lord Wraith and Harry's mother at Wraith Manor. Actually, yeah, that's um, a good point. So, I don't, yeah, I, I think it might be part of it, um, or it might be why Thomas gives more of the benefit. Like, it is not within Thomas's interests here to put yeah. himself in front of a knight of the cross and, and a wizard of the white council, really. I mean, yeah, he I'm says he's doing it for Justine. But um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent on that. Uh, I I think there might be more at play, like you say. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just something that sticks out a bit more now rereading it. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I mean I I've I not read that. all the short stories, but am I correct in thinking there is a short story? From Thomas's point of view, where he's just spending the day going around saving Harry Dresden behind his back. <laughs> uh, I I believe so. There's there's quite a few short stories that kind of go in that vein of people saving Harry behind his back, which I find really funny. Yeah, because I mean, it could be just tied into that a bit more. I don't know. Um, maybe we're looking too much into it. I don't know, but then at the same time, at this point, I think the Dresden series was having a book out every year, so it's entirely plausible that uh, Jim Butcher had this all already figured out and knew where he was going with Thomas and Harry. Yeah, I think at the very least, if if Thomas isn't aware, he has a bit of a predisposition to trusting Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it is crazy that he straight out of the gate is like, Harry's the guy uh, that I need to be. Uh, Harry's the guy that I need to be like that needs to help me. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think that covers everything. Oh, our last one was just a, a little side one, which is um, when they go into the Nether. Uh, Bob, uh, the skull, joins them for their, their jaunt into the nether. Um, and I just kind of like how blasé Bob is, I guess. <laughs> um, he's very like, like, he knows, they know that the Lenanchi's after them. And, and Bob is just like, hello there, Leah. Are you and Harry still having problems? <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> oh man, um, which I I really enjoyed. I like Bob 
is used very sparingly, really from this point on in the series, to be honest. Um, and every scene with him is just a joy. My my personal favourite is um, his appearance in Ghost Story, uh, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a bunch when we get there. Um, but uh, apart from that, I think just in general... Um, Bob is just is just really funny and and I really enjoyed him uh, in in the couple of scenes that we got with him in these chapters. Mm. I think that's all I really want to say on that. Unless anything you want to throw in? No, not not really. I mean, I've, I don't know I enjoyed these chapters a lot, and yeah, I'm getting that kind of excitement now of just wanting to finish it because I I, I I'm slowly remembering what's happening. Yeah. It's it's a very it's a very weird one for I think really both of us um, going through this because we both have read these books but it's like going back to a TV series or something like five ten years after watching it um, yeah. and you just I'm I'm just rediscovering all all these moments that I completely forgot how much I love them <laughs> very much the same. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm trying to find out if uh, Thomas does Thomas Wraith know that Harry is his brother. Let's let's just go with does Thomas Wraith know Harry is his brother in great peril. Uh, I cannot see anything that says that he does. Mm. Um, everything there's like very little talk about him in uh, in Grave Peril. I guess because he doesn't he doesn't do that much in Grave Peril compared to other points in the series. Yeah. Um, I'm just. Um, oh, I may have slightly got uh, White Knight confused with Blood Rights for some of the plot points that I was talking about earlier. The the porn studio is Blood Rights. Uh, White Knight is all about the tracking down of Thomas, so uh, apologies for that mix-up. Um, no, I cannot see uh, anything saying one way or another. Uh, oh, no, uh, discount that, in fact. Uh, Thomas reveals the reason he has helped Harry is that they are half-brothers. Uh, in Blood Rites. So he does know he is aware. Cool. I can sleep easy Which, tonight. I think that adds... Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I think that does add a little bit of something. Yeah, I agree on that. Um, yeah, I think it's... It's interesting that 
Thomas kind of zeroes in on Harry from the start of the the ball. Um, and I guess I guess he would if he knows this. Um, and I can also understand why he wouldn't tell Harry. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense to, I guess, at the moment either. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm not sure that I would kill, or not kill, but throw my uh, my brother's partner to a horde of vampires either. Yeah, that's a good point. No. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll never be in the situation where I'll find out either, which is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but that is, uh, that's, uh, that's kind of their relationship at the moment and we'll check back in on them. Um, it is, a, it is a spoiler for those people who are, who are going along with the series that, uh, Thomas is Harry's brother. I apologize. Um, but for those that are going around a second time, uh, it's, it's really worth pulling out here. Cause it, I think it, like we say, like we've, we've said multiple times, it explains is, his actions and why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so we talked about the Bob and the Never Nella. We've talked about everything on our talking points. Uh, is there anything else you want to throw in, Rob? On no, sections? not really. Other than I'm very excited for the next episode. So am I. Uh, as Harry, uh, Michael and Thomas and Bob are going back to save Justine and Suzanne. Susan. Susanna. Susan. Susan. Where did I get Susanna from? I don't know. Uh, yeah. This. It's time to end the episode, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Oh, man. Um, yeah, as always, thank you for your support. We've just scraped in 2,700 downloads. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, interact with us on the Facebook, the Twitter, um, the other one, Instagram. Drop us an email as well. If you like what we're doing, great. If you don't like it, not so great, but we'll accept criticism and work on it to improve. Um, yeah, let us know what your least favourite Dresden book is as well. We, we'd love to find out. And next week we'll be covering chapters 33, 34, 35 and 36 so yeah crack open a can of coke because you've been listening to the paranet podcast with myself rob davis and me patrick Lund. and we will see you next week goodbye bye